0: All right, well, today we commence the study of uh, Genesis, a new series. And so we're going to read just one verse today uh, because this is going to be an introductory message. Uh, But now is a good opportunity to remind each of you that we believe the Word of God is living and active, the Word of God is powerful. Uh, It is in its pages you will find life so we believe everyone should have it okay so if you're here today and you do not have a copy of God's Word for yourself or or if there is someone who's not here who you know would would make use of it uh, then we want you to go ahead and just take a copy from the pew in front of you okay. just take it it's yours write your name in it take it home with you and read it and we'll replace it okay the Word of God was given freely to us, and so we believe it should be freely distributed. So please, if you don't own a Bible, don't leave here today without one, okay? All right, so brothers and sisters, many of you know this verse by heart, and rightly so. But the Word of the Lord for us today, from Genesis 1:1, is thus, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this word, for this book, for all of Scripture. We pray that as we dive into what you revealed that we would be humble, that we would be encouraged, that we would be tuned to your purposes. We ask that in these brief moments together, that we would be clear, we would be focused, and that we would be faithful. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, it's no surprise, it's no secret, I, I enjoy movies. I I enjoy that stuff, okay? And everyone loves a good origin story. Uh, We just finished in our household uh, last week watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Many of you may have finished it likewise. I'm not going to do many spoilers except to say that it's basically a protracted origin story for how the Falcon becomes the new Captain America. And Marvel in the cinematic universe has succeeded Uh, in large part because of how they've done the origin stories for many of their heroes. But it's not just movies. We love to know the context. We love to know the background of how did they get to where they are. What is it that took place that shapes what they're doing? And so, background stories, origin stories, really help shape an old understanding and appreciation of identity in the presence in the present and mission in the now this is what genesis does for us in the midst of a world that is gone crazy in the midst of a context of absolute disorder and chaos the book of genesis at the fount of scripture Orients us with the ultimate origin story. In Genesis' pages, we learn who God is. We learn how things were meant to be. We learn ultimately how things will be. We learn the origins of the con- concept of covenant. And perhaps most germanely, we learn a lot about who we are and who we were made to be the book of Genesis is indeed a precious book okay? now next week we're going to launch into an actual exposition of the text but Genesis deserves an introductory message in order to help us get the lay of the land so we can better appreciate and understand it going forward so this introductory message will contain lots of little I don't know factoids that are hopefully going to help you understand and follow along with where we're coming from when we approach this book okay so first and foremost its place in the Bible it is the first book of the Bible It's never not been considered the first book of the Bible precisely because of what it deals with, the origins of the cosmos. Okay, it stands at the head of Scripture showing who God is. It even lays out some of the basics of what God expects. It's the first book of the Torah, the Law of Moses, So Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they all fit, okay? From its first words of in the beginning to at the end of Genesis 50 where Joseph is dead and the people are in Egypt, you look at Exodus 1-1 and it just fits seamlessly. You get to the end of Exodus and then you look at Leviticus 1-1 and it just fits, okay? The, The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, go together very, very seamlessly. It's one of the most referenced books in the New Testament. It's it's the fourth most referenced book in the New Testament. The most referenced book is the Psalms, believe it or not. So if you love the Psalms, so does the New Testament, okay? But it's one of the most referenced books in the New Testament. Who, Who wrote it? Well, we've said Moses, okay and and that's true the Bible Jesus credits Moses with authoring it now that is almost universally rejected by critical scholarship most of critical scholars will will try to tell you that Moses was a mythical person someone invented by the by the Israelite community uh, to justify its foundations or something like that well the New Testament affirms the Mosaic authorship of the old Torah, okay? Jesus specifically, when he says that Moses gives you circumcision, we tend to think of, okay, Exodus, as well, g- guess where the actual rules about circumcision are laid out for us? In Genesis. So he, he's affirming that the laws written in Ge- Genesis about circumcision are given to us by Moses and it, it makes sense that Moses would have been able to write these books um, if you think about him he, he was an especially uh, luminous figure in the history of God's people just a titan of a man uh, the covenant mediator of the old covenant he was raised in the household of Pharaoh so he had a world-class education, and his education shines forth. His, his literary brilliance shines forth in these pages with, with the masterful prose that he puts together. Okay, Sometimes people will think of, of his objections to the Lord in Exodus 4. When God is telling him to go to Pharaoh and Moses throws out with, well, I'm a stammerer. I'm not a good speaker. A- and we think that that's a statement of fact. Uh, it's either a, just an excuse or a statement of his insecurity. Because the Bible goes on to tell us that Moses was very powerful in word. Okay, He was an excellent orator, as evidenced by what he does. Or he becomes an excellent orator at any rate. Uh, Moses had opportunity as well. He is the one who led the people out of Egypt. And he has the opportunity then to put together their history, their story as they are making their way. Now, there are some things in Genesis, there are some things in the Pentateuch that very clearly uh, cast doubt on mosaic authorship for example uh in genesis abraham chases some kings to a city but that city didn't get that name until like the time of the kings so what's that mean and and of course moses's death is recorded um you know some people want to say well moses just recorded his own death beforehand and And Moses wrote down the name of this city, uh, you know, that was that was absolute gibberish to the people until hundreds and hundreds of years later they name it, oh, okay. No, no, here's what you gotta understand. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, he wrote Genesis. But that does not mean that centuries later, that edits weren't made. An edit in no way shape or form undermines the integrity of mosaic authorship any more or any less than the significant edits made to the declaration of independence Wh- who wrote the declaration of independence Wh- who wrote the de- come don't scare me now who who wrote the declaration of independence thomas jefferson if you don't know that oh boy Okay, so Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. Who knows how many, this is the ultimate trivia, okay, who knows how many revisions were made to the Declaration before it was finally approved on July 4th, what year? 1770, okay, good. Okay, who, who can guess? Put your hand up if you, if, if you know. Okay, I'm not seeing any hands eighty six revisions including it would have been the fourth largest paragraph in the thing he had this whole diatribe against slavery now eighty six revisions to the Declaration of Independence who wrote the Declaration of Independence Thomas Jefferson okay see what I'm getting at so these these people who tried to say that oh uh, you know because there's an an edit by a future scholar probably Ezra or something uh that that means Moses didn't no 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 Moses wrote it and a future editor compiled it or whatever but Moses wrote it so do not fear do not be troubled by any of these things that reflect a later thing No, it's just a minor gloss from a later period, okay? But Moses wrote it, and it was written when? This, brothers and sisters, is incredibly important for bearing in mind. When was this written? Almost certainly during the 40 years of wandering. So think about this. The people of Israel... In Egypt, we learn from Scripture had gone native. They had adopted Egyptian beliefs, Egyptian practices, Egyptian cosmology. And part of what is happening to them is they are having to be reprogrammed to think along the lines of truth rather than along the lines of the cultural myth with which they had been raised for generations. The people of Israel, in their human experience, had experienced the powerful working of God. They had been delivered from Egypt, and when they thought, oh, this God just showed up on the scene, they are now learning the truth is this God who you thought just showed up on the scene is the God who had been the God of your fathers all along. He didn't just become concerned about you. He's been concerned about you. And so a key aspect of the book of Genesis especially is that it is designed to demythologize the world as they knew it and that point is very important to keep in mind that it is designed to demythologize the world as they knew it we all grow up in a culture that has a mythology the mythology of our culture is readily denounced as a mythology, but it is a mythology, the mythology of atheistic humanism. The idea that contrary to all probabilities, the idea that is contrary to its own laws, that nothing became something, that out of chaos came order, it is the myth of our age. And so, Just as the myth of its age needed to be repudiated, the myths of the ancient Near East which said that matter was eternal and that the created order that we have comes out of conflict of the deities and the phenomenon that we experience represents the actual dying and rebirth of deities, the actual procreation of deities, all this stuff, That had to get swept away. So too does Genesis confront the mythologies of our age, which is contrary to the idea that nothing became something and that order just happened out of chaos, God spoke. God did. Coming to the book of Genesis, cause us to have a moment of humility when I think of hubris and humility I think of the the scene in doctor strange where where Stephen strange meets the ancient one you know he's, he's been in a horrific car crash and his hands are just mangled and he can't be a a surgeon anymore and he's he comes to see the ancient one and the ancient one, he's there because he thinks she's found a way to, like, heal people that's beyond medical science. And he's told that he has to forget everything he thinks he knows. And he's just absolutely sure that there's nothing beyond mere matter. Remember that scene? And then she expands his field of vision a bit, doesn't she? Okay. We have to bear in mind when we come to Genesis that our God is great and powerful and mighty. We have to bear in mind that there are things that are bigger than we are. There are things that we simply do not understand. And even our best grasping with science, which is actually a methodology simply in service of a worldview, but even scientific discoveries we should be humble about and a little less certain what we think we know because the scientific paradigms have shifted so much throughout human history even within the 20th century and every time we're in a given era humans are willing to fight and kill over their scientific methodology that they're just sure they're sure they know Einstein blew up the intellectual world with his theory of relativity because it opens the door for time travel saying that time is relative itself that that the closer something gets to the speed of light the faster or slower time passes okay this is like mind-blowing stuff so we should be a little less sure what we think science is telling us we should be a little less sure and instead we should come to scripture saying teach me O oh Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me how things went down before man said, Let us build a world and make a name for ourselves apart from the living God. But not only does the book of Genesis reorient their cosmology, it gives them a sense of identity. It teaches them their history. It teaches them the origins of their mission. Remember, they had just received the Sinai Covenant. They had just been called by God to be a nation of of priests to the world. The origins of that mission to serve as God's emissaries in the world are going back all the way to Genesis all the way to the beginning. In fact, the book of Genesis fills them in in their story of their sense of destiny, that they are destined to be the people by which, through whom, the Savior of the world comes. The book of Genesis, in providing their history, helps shape their sense of identity of who they are and how they are to relate rightly to the world, and how they, being who they are, are to relate to the God who created the world. The book of Genesis is structured around the 10 Toledotes in the book. You, You read in multiple cases that these are the generations of something. These are the generations of someone, okay? These ten Toledoths are the ten divisions within the book that break it up into those ten sections. Five of the Toledoth sections occur in Genesis 1 through 11. Five of them occur in chapters 12 through 50. So the book of Genesis breaks nicely into two sections. Genesis 1 through 11 and Genesis 12 through 50 and the story of the call of avram abram in genesis 12 is the hinge that pivots the book so 1 to 11 covers primeval history okay this is the way things were back then and this is where we have to set discard some of our hubris because things operated differently back then there are things in the first 11 chapters that for some people are too fantastical to believe. Long, really long lifespans. Stuff like that. There are things that make it hard for people to think it's a straightforward account. The rest of the book, Genesis 12 through 50, not many people have a hard time accepting it in terms of in uh, and, and, and terms of the plausibility of it, the just critical people think it's all invented, okay? But, but no, it, it happened. It's the origin story of the people of God. So 1 to 11, 5 to 12, or, or 1 to 11, 12 to 50. It's our intent over the next several weeks, several months, to do 1 to 11. We'll stop for the Reformation and, and Christmas stuff, and in the new year, pick it back up with 12 to 50. Now, when it comes to hermeneutical interpretation of the book, how do you approach this book? Well, it's tough in one sense because it was a long time ago, and, and the behaviors of people uh, seem to be kind of weird sometimes. I mean, we struggle with, 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 with what they do. Is this really good behavior? I mean, there's some weird stuff that they did back then, and it can be, be difficult. The text is historical narrative, period Genesis 1 to Genesis 50 is historical narrative There's a couple little poetic songs here and there but the text is historical narrative and it's a it's that feature which is hard for some to accept with modernistic presuppositions and so Genesis is clearly a book, especially chapters 1 to 11, is a book that tests your commitment to Scripture, to the authority and clarity of Scripture. In and, and, and John 14, too, Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? Okay? Do you trust God to tell you the truth? So when God lays something out, Do you trust that he's telling you the truth? Or do you think that he cannot be trusted to give you a straightforward testimony? Do you take God's word at face value when, according to the normal rules of hermeneutics, a historical accounting is to be taken at face value? So, there are some principles for reading biblical narrative generally, and they apply in the book of Genesis. First, you take text at face value unless there is compelling evidence that something other than face value is intended. You take narrative at face value unless there is something compelling there that indicates that the author intends for you to take it as something other than at face value. Second, and this is really important, don't confuse the voice of the narrator with the voice of characters. Okay, we've seen all those silly devotional, um, i sorry, devotional calendars aren't silly, but, but sometimes they just ham-fisted with how they use Scripture, so they'll, like, put the words of the devil from, from Matthew, okay, on there. Um, don't confuse, just because someone in the Bible says something doesn't mean that you can take that and just be inspired by it. Sometimes it's the devil talking. Sometimes the characters in the Bible say horrible things. So just because a character says something does not mean inherently that it is what is being taught. The voice of the narrator is the voice you should listen to when multiple voices are present. Because they are the divinely inspired voice. Okay? So... Don't think. Third, it's very, it's related to that. Don't think that just because something is mentioned, that it's being condoned. I remember growing up, think hearing this person say that the Bible, uh, the Bible te- condones suicide. Where did they get that idea? Because in in Kings, uh, Saul commits suicide. King Saul commits suicide. Um, It's recording that he did that, but it also says he's a bad guy. I don't take my inspiration from bad guys who murder innocent people. I mean, what do you mean? You know, that, so just because something happens, just because Judah goes into a tent and sleeps with a prostitute does not mean that that's okay. It's actually throwing it out there, his warts. So, a few hermeneutic principles. Take it at face value unless there's some compelling evidence in the text that to indicate that the author wants us to take it as something other than face value. Two, don't confuse the voice of the narrator with the voice of the characters. And three, just because something is mentioned does not mean it's condoned. You interpret what's said as happening in light of what God commands or says should happen. So if we take all this together, we will come to the table in Genesis, and we will have an awesome time learning who we are, who God is, how God intends us to relate to the world, to each other, to him. It will be a fantastic study. So I invite you to come back next week as we begin looking at the creation account from Genesis chapter 1. Let's pray.